I thought, someone sent me a memo today. To, to, this is dress-up Sunday. Did I get the wrong memo? What's up with that? Uh, they said, hey, dress as nicely as you can um, and do not be a distraction to anybody in the church. So I thought I would just dress as nicely as I could and not be a distraction to anybody in the church. How you guys doing? Ah, oh, come on. You guys doing well? You know, I, I think about, uh, now if you're new to Watermark, this is how I dress all the time. <laughs> this is how all the pastoral staff dress all the time. Uh, my name is Tobin. I'm, I'm one of the pastors. I'm a teaching pastor here. I'm joking. This is not how I dress all the time. Um, but, you know, we are, uh, we're, we're having fun as a family of God, and we're trying to figure out what does it mean for us to go on a journey uh, with God and to worship Him. And we've been looking at this, you know, this is terrible, because it's like the first Sunday back. Everybody's, everybody's new back. Everybody's coming back. And we've got the passage that no one ever wants to preach on, right? So when I tell other pastors in America what we're going to preach on today, they're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. You should, you should go to do something fun. And, uh, but I think that one of the things about preaching through a book of the Bible is you don't skip a chapter. So we're, we're hoping to uh, teach God's Word faithfully. And I'm looking at the first verse, and I just keep thinking through my head, what does it mean for us to imitate Christ? Because he's, Paul's saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So don't imitate me if I'm not imitating Christ, but if I'm imitating Christ, imitate me, therefore imitate Christ. And been praying for that as a church, you know, when we prayed about starting this church, we prayed that God would allow us to start a church family that just loved each other, that we accepted each other, that we were going on a journey together, and that we were going to learn from each other. And we knew that when we came together as a church family, we were going to be uh, different, coming from different backgrounds and expressions. And I, I, I fully assumed that a lot of people in here aren't in the family of God yet. They're here exploring, and they're trying to figure out what it means to, to be a follower of Christ. And there's probably some of us in here who thinks that we're in the family of God, and we're not in it yet either because we're, we're kind of misunderstanding what it means to, to walk with the Lord. But in this passage and in this book, one of the things that comes out is as we walk with the Lord, we, we imitate Him and we act like Him. And so we're in this book of Corinthians, and the Corinthians are just, it's just this crazy group of church people. I mean, they're planted in probably the most immoral city in all the ancient world. It was wealthy, it was just out of control and everything that did, excess to the max. It was a lot like Hong Kong, it was a major shipping port. And in the middle of this, this small little church community came in, and all these people came to know the Lord, they came to Christ, they became Christians, and they were experiencing this freedom of what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to walk in grace, what it meant to be to, to have God's forgiveness, not what it meant not to be performance-based in their lives. And as they got this freedom, they still had this old nature that they were trying to deal with, and they just they didn't do very well in dealing with it. I mean, they had these Christian freedoms, but they used it to the abuse of other people. And when the church didn't imitate Christ, it confused people. It confused people within the church, and it confused people outside the church. And that's what these chapters are all about. It's, about. it's about confusion. It's about freedom and confusion and people not acting the way they're supposed to act. And what we see is, as Christians that we always struggle with these ideas. We, uh, we struggle with balancing these ideas of authority and discipline, knowledge and love, 
Freedom and, and responsibility. We struggle with these, and we kind of vacillate. We go back and forth. What does it mean to be gracious? I, I struggle with them as a parent. How, do I, how, do I, how am I gracious to my kids? But then how do I also bring authority in there? In this church, this Corinthian church, they, they did terrible at that. I mean, every time they tried to do that, it always turned out about them. It was always about their pride. It was always about their self-centeredness. It was always about their ego. It was always about their selfishness. It was always about their self-authority. And these themes led throughout all the life of the church, and it just caused mass chaos and confusion, and it was hurting people in the church, and it was hurting people out of the church. And in chapter 11, we get to another one of these stories of people doing what they want to do, and they're causing this chaos, and, and they're, they're, they're struggling again with what does it mean to have freedom, and their pride is coming in, and it's hurting, it's hurting their worship. It's hurting a fellowship like this. It's, it's hurting their families. Their families are, are getting hurt. And people aren't obeying God, and they're not giving God the glory. They want themselves the glory. And so this is what's happening in this church, and, and, and you're going to think this is like the dumbest thing ever. Um, but there are women who are praying and prophesying in it, which is great. I mean, if, if you looked at any culture in that time, the Greek, the Roman, and the Jewish culture, the women had no authority. They couldn't speak in the congregations. They couldn't speak in the fellowship. They couldn't speak in the temple. They were subservient to everybody. They were basically treated as property. But when Paul and Christ came in in the Gospels, what they did, Christ did first, and then Paul took on the mantle of preaching the good news. They broke down all these barriers of sexes. And so in the Christian church, for the first time in the history of the world, there wasn't a difference between man and woman. There wasn't a barrier there that, that man and women were seen as equal in essence and dignity and, and everything they did. So that when we stood before the Lord in church, and this never happened. Now, we read these things and we go, oh, yeah, so what's the big deal? It's, it's a huge deal. For 2,000 years, people did not do this. And so this is the first time people are actually doing this. And they're trying to figure out, well, how do we do this? And how do we do it well? And so they're, for the first time, they're standing in this freedom of grace and forgiveness. And they're struggling. They're struggling with their faith and they're struggling with their freedom. Now the church, what we've talked about throughout this whole time is their motto has been, everything is permissible. Which is probably not a good model or motto for a church. But the Corinthian church's motto was, everything is permissible, everything is good, we have freedom in Christ. And so what happens was that there are these women who came in, and they were probably married, and they're praying and they're bringing prophecy. Prophecies are words of encouragement, instruction from God. This is what God's doing. And, but when they did it, they stopped dressing culturally appropriate. I mean, they just felt like they were free to do whatever they wanted to do. And so they went into these gatherings, and they were dressing actually in ways that were provocative. Like me. Before I got up, my wife said, wow, you distract me. I said, thank you very much. <laughs> but that's what these women were doing. They were, they were dressing in provocative ways. And, but what they were, not just dressing in provocative ways, but culturally, and listen to my heart here, this is what these women were saying in their culture. They were saying, we're dressing this way because we reject the idea of authority we, we reject the idea of submitting to authority. We, we, we don't want to be treated as uh, women. We want to be different within creation. And, and the church struggled with this. 
Because when Christ spoke and he set up this idea of equality, it changed the world, and specifically it changed the world in the church and in marriage. And in the church and in marriage, everyone was seen as equals. But these ladies came in and they were expressing their freedom in ways that were just kind of freaking people out. And so when the people saw that and they came in new to the congregation, they didn't know what to do. I mean, they were like, whoa, that's, 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 how, the, that's how the barmaid dresses in the pub. And oh, wow, that's how, the, that's how the prophetess dressed in the temple where I used to go have sex before I became a Christian. And it was causing all this tension. And when you went to the women and talked to them, they would just say, like they should say, they were, we're free. We can do whatever we want. We're equal. We're, 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 we're on the same platform. And so we are going to push aside all these cultural uh, boundaries. And, but as they were doing this, it was just causing mass confusion in the church. I don't know if I can, I'm saying it very well. My wife tells me sometimes I'm not a very good communicator, even though I, I like to think I am. But that when Christians came in, they were confused. And when non-Christians came in, they were confused because how these women were dressing and how they were acting, they were just blurring all the lines of gender and gender differences, and, and authority, and, they were, and, and basically when you came in, people said, they're attacking God. They're attacking God's creation. Now, you're going to laugh when you hear what they did, because when we think about this, we think, well, that has to be the dumbest thing in the world. But they did this, and what they did was they stopped wearing their head coverings in worship. Because before, in all these cultures, Roman, Greek, and, and, and Jewish, all the women wore head coverings. And so these women, in their freedom in Christ and how God has changed them, they stopped wearing their head coverings. They stopped wearing them in the worship, and they stopped wearing them in the public. And you know what? Some of them even let their hair down. Wow. And you're thinking, well, that has, that has to be the dumbest thing ever, but that's what they were doing. And you know what? Some of them even cut their hair short. And when they did this as Christians and they came into this community, um, they just were causing confusion. And Paul doesn't ignore it, which is very interesting to me. But Paul talks about it, but he doesn't necessarily talk about exactly what's happening, but he talks about the motives behind what's happening. And Paul looks at our heart. And he talks about our heart, and he talks about the hearts that we have and the struggles that we have with our hearts. And he tells me, and he tells us, and he tells the women in this church and in our church and men in our church and in that church that you and I are always going to struggle with self-interest. That you and I are always going to struggle with pride. That you and I are always going to struggle with our willingness to place ourselves apart from God. We're going to strive for our own glory. We're not going to strive for God's glory. We're going to strive for our own glory. And that's what we talked about last week in church. That you and I have this continual struggle of are we going to follow our own selves or are we going to follow the Lord? And in this situation, the women were perceived as following themselves. So what I want to do in just the time remaining, I want to talk about two or three topics in this passage that stick out to me uh, before I get in trouble. I want to talk about headship and what headship means. I want to talk about head coverings and what they meant back then and what they mean now. And I want to ask us some questions, okay? Is that okay? So hopefully I'm not distracting you. Uh, but, you know, you look at this. You notice in the passage right after Paul, if you look at your Bible or in the passage, you look at it, right after Paul teaches to them 
in the beginning, he basically tells them to be imitators of Christ. In very verse, verse 2, he gives them a praise. He encourages them because they've been trying to follow his teaching, and they're trying to do exactly what he said to do. But in verse 3, he comes in, and he basically says this, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and man is the head of a woman, his wife, not every woman, a woman, and God is the head of Christ. So before you get angry, I just want to break this down really quickly, and I want to tell you what I've been learning. The first thing we see here is that God is the head of Christ. That means that Christ submits to God's authority. And to understand how we live in church and society as God's people and how we, we live in the family, we have to understand this idea of authority. It's, it's God, it's Jesus, it's man, and it's woman. And if we get these things out of whack and we just focus on the bottom two, then we lose focus on what God has meant for us to do. And I believe we lose the blessing that God wants us to have as God's people. Because I think this is about blessing. And God wants to take you and I to a place where we flourish and we feel his presence. But we struggle with that because we want to have our own authority as we do that. So Jesus, who is God, submits to God the Father. So God is Jesus' head. So God the Father is Jesus' authority. Now just play with me here. Okay, so uh, Jesus is 100% God. He's 100% man. He's eternal. He's a creator. He dies on a cross. He's, he's one in the same essence of God. But he defers himself to God. God the Father is his head. And as he defers himself to God, what we see here is it does not make Jesus any less. It doesn't make Jesus any less than he can be. It doesn't diminish who he is or his character. It doesn't take away his value. It doesn't take away his worth. It doesn't take away his dignity. It doesn't take away his identity. It doesn't take away his competency. It doesn't take away his significance. All these things I've struggled with, and I've heard people struggle with me on these things. But in the Bible, the idea of headship just doesn't do that. Headship has nothing to do with superiority, and headship has nothing to do with value. The Father and Jesus have the same essence, they have the same value, but what we're told is they have different roles and different functions. And somehow, in eternity past, I don't understand it, but Jesus said in the triune Godhead, I'm going to submit to God the Father. And he willingly submits to God's authority. So my question as we look at this text and we just understand the gospel, my question is this, does that make Jesus weaker? By Jesus submitting to the authority of God the Father, does that make him less than God? It doesn't. Because headship and authority have nothing to do with greater or lesser. It's just a role that's being played there. Okay, look at verse 3 again. Christ is the head of every man. So men, <laughs> you have the responsibility to submit your lives to the headship and authority of Christ. Do you know that? I think sometimes as men, we just want to skip this verse and we want to go to the next verse because it's more sexy. Um, but this is what he says. He says, men, Christ is the one who leads. You are the one 
who follows. Christ is the one who leads. You are the one who follows. This means that men are not led by their job. Men are not led by their career. As Christians, men are not led by their feelings. Men are not led by their competencies. Not, men are not led by what they do good at. Men are not led by Cafe Pacific. Men are not led by J.P. Morgan. Men are led by God. So men, what Paul is telling us is that you, as a follower of Christ, in everything that you do as a man, you are led by Christ. So here's my question. Is that true? Men? Is it true? Maybe I should ask your wives. Your wives would be able to tell me if it's true or not. But this is what we have to ask ourselves as men. Under this authority of God, Jesus, man, and woman. This means that men cannot lead their family as they feel like. This means that men have to submit first as the head to Jesus as the head of their lives. It means that men are humble servants to their wives and their kiddos. It means that men represent God in their home. Do you know, if you read the Hebrew, there's this play on words, and it's almost like that men are this mirror, and men reflect God's glory. And so as God's shining his glory uh, before the brokenness, before our mirror was cracked, we just reflected God's glory to our, our wives and our kids and, and everything else. But then when sin came in, it just broke all these things. And we have a struggle with that. And the problem is that we often forget our responsibility. And we just think about our authority. We, we think about what we're supposed to do and our responsibility, but we forget that we're called to serve and love and nurture and take care of our spouses. Verse 3. Guys, are you feeling it? I feel it. Verse 3. Now Paul says that man is the head of the woman. Paul teaches this in verses 3 and verses 8 and verses 9. And Paul, as he always does, he's like the perfect teacher. He doesn't just give you an opinion. He just goes back to the very beginning of how things were meant to be and how they were created in the beginning. And he goes to this place called a garden. And in chapter 2 of Genesis, what you see is that God created man out of the dirt Man's like a mud clod, right? And he created woman out of the side of the man. That Eve, the woman, was created to be a partner to man. In Hebrew, it actually says these words, same but different. Um, and actually, when I, if you've ever heard me do a wedding ceremony, I did it for Oscar and Celeste just recently, one of the Hebrew words basically says that, the man is a, that woman is a rescuer of man. That, that the man needed rescuing, that the man was not complete. And so the woman was created different, and she was given different roles as a helper for the man. Now, I've gone back and forth on this word helper. Christina and I were talking about this. Oh, we can't do this in this culture because the helper has a bad content, content, you know, connotation in this culture, and, and, and no one's going to miss it here, and they're going to freak out, and you know, they're going to think of their helper. But in, in, in the Bible, that's just the best word there is. 
You know that the Bible only uses helper four times? It says that, that woman is the helper of man. It says that God the Father is the helper of mankind. It says that Jesus is the helper of man. It says that the Holy Spirit is the helper of man. So woman, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. That's, that's, I would say that's pretty good company, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the all-star team. That's, 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 that's as good as it gets. You're on the all-star team. If you're with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're on the all-star team. Uh, but there's a struggle here, and the issue is that, that women were given different giftings, and they were given different giftings so they could help the man. And I'm going to say this because I believe it with all my heart. And, uh, you know, when I was studying medicine, so this would have been, I, I graduated in 87. I was going into medical school. And in, in the 70s and 80s, there was a big push on Psychology Today, the Journal of American Medicine, um, Cosmo, anything you read. Basically, there was this big push that said that men and women are exactly the same. That they are, they're typically identical. The only problem and the only issue of difference was because of culture. But if you just look at them, you know, yeah, the biologically is a little different, but everything else is just culturally. It's, it's, they're just different. And, and you know, now we don't, no one ever talks about that now in medicine. They say that's, that's, that's terrible because there's a massive difference in how the different sexes are wired in their brains and how they work. And, and you know, I believe that God did this for a purpose. And we believe this in this church. This is what God's word says. There's a, there's a gender differences are massive and they're important and that's how God made it. If Christina were just like me, we would be so boring and we would never get anything done. And think about this too, right? You know, by definition, a helper has to have two things going for them. One is the helper has to know how to do something that the other person can't get done. And the second thing is the helper has to be willing to help. So if you come to my house at 6 o'clock at night, I tutor my kids. I'm their helper. And I tutor them in, in math and in science and geometry. Uh, and and I, the reason I tutor them is because I know more than they do. I, 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 can, I can fit in and I can do things that they can't do. That's what makes me a helper. I help them because I have the ability to do things that they cannot do. Now, I do not help them with Canadian history. Who knew there was so much about Canadian history, right? I just thought it was a part of northern Montana, and anybody who didn't like Montana, they just went up into Canada. But I cannot help them. I cannot be their helper in Canadian history because I cannot even pronounce all the French names correctly. But I can help them in everything else. And so to be a helper to my kids, I have to be Having something that they, they can't do on their own, I have to be able to do that. And then I also have to be willing to do that. You know, there's sometimes I'm just not willing. They come in, can you help me with that? I'm like, I just don't have enough time. I'm tired. Can you just go do it on your own? I just can't do that, you know. But we see in this passage that woman was created differently, and she was man's helper and if there are differences, my belief, and I think the Bible teaches really clearly that these differences must be good. They must be good. Because God wouldn't create anything bad. The problem is, is that in Genesis chapter 3, one chapter later, sin comes in. And sin comes in and just totally devastates us. 
And it takes these differences and it twists them and it turns them and it corrupts them. And instead of nurturing the woman, now the guy is ordering the woman. And instead of serving the man, we're told that the woman wants to dominate the man. And all of these things are a concept of sin coming in and just taking these giftings and these differences and just, and just twisting them and changing them. If you look at the passage again in verse 11, he says, However, in the Lord, neither woman is independent of man or man is independent of woman, that there's just this sameness in their identity, in their essence, in their values. But they have different functions and they have different roles. Can I be honest with you? And I, I try to be very honest and, you know, you laugh at the, the things I share and 98% of the stories are true. I change some names sometimes just to protect people. Um, but I feel like we need to be honest as a family, right? Um, Christina is so much better than I am. I mean, I think she's so much more gifted than I am. Uh, she's funner than I am. If I were God, I would have made the woman the head of the household. Because after counseling men for 30 years, I just think women just think so much clearer. And guys can focus on one thing, and then they can't get their focus off that one thing. And, but there's something in it that I would have said, you know, it just makes more sense. And, you know, sometimes Christina's doing stuff, and I just want her to do it. I, mean, I don't want to be the leader. I mean, she does it so much better than I can do it. I just want to follow, right? And she looks at me, and she goes, hey, no, that's not what God meant for us in our roles. You're, you're to be the leader. You're to lead. What, where is God taking us? What's he calling us to do? And for some reason in Genesis, before sin comes into the world, God places man in authority over his wife in two major institutions, in marriage and in the church. And what we're told in this passage is that Jesus submits to God and he reflects God's image back to him as a mirror, that man reflects, submits to Jesus and he reflects his glory back. And woman is called to submit to man and she reflects his glory back. And both man and a woman submit to God and they reflect his glory back. And I don't understand it. But what I know is true that if we stay within God's parameters and his rules and things of authority, how he created things, that if we do this, God has this massive blessing for us. It's God's best in our life. And if you come to marriage counseling, you're going to hear us talk about that over and over. That if you want God's best in your life, the first thing you need to understand is there's an authority structure in how we work, structure in how we work, and God has just called us to do that, even though sometimes it's really difficult. And there's abuses, and you have to work through those abuses. And so somehow the women in the church of Corinth, they were just dressing, or they are not dressing, or they're letting their hair down, or they're cutting their hair. And all these cultural social cues, they were just being fallen apart. And what they were doing is they were sending a message to everyone in their church, hey, we have freedom. We want to do it for ourselves. We, we don't care about authority. We don't care about genders. We don't care about the roles. Um, all these things that God meant for as a blessing within the church, they just kind of fell apart. And they cause confusion and chaos. Does that make sense? I mean, I went, I went around my elbow to get to my nose to explain everything. But I think that all these things are, are really important because this is how God has made us. And this is how God wants us to flourish. And if we don't do these things, we don't flourish. And so the women were just using their freedom and they were doing something and it just was inappropriate. And Paul had to come back and said, no, this is why we do these things. And this is what we do. The next thing I want to look at is just head coverings. And he talks about that from verses 4 through 16. And in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, um, just 
most men wore hair that was short, and most women wore hair that was long. If you go to the Colosseum, if you go to Rome, if you go to the Vatican, all the statues that you're going to see of men, all of them have short hair. The only ones that don't have short hair, that have long hair, are the slaves that are being led away in captivity behind a Roman carriage. So barbarians always had long hair, and uh, male prostitutes always had long hair. So if you see those things, then you're, okay, those are not normal people. And if you go to the Vatican, and you go to Colosseum, and you see all these things, all the statues of women, had, they, they, had, they had long hair, or their hair was covered, and they had a veil. And only the women who had short hair, or the only women who were bald, they, they, were, they were temple prostitutes, or they were bad girls. And if a woman cut her hair in, in Paul's day, it was a symbol of rebellion, it meant that she didn't want to be under male authority, that she didn't want to follow her husband. It meant that there was a blurring of gender, that she wanted to do the same things that men did. And, and all of this is because in culture, in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, in Rome and in, in Greece and in the Jewish culture, that the woman was seen as a woman's, the hair was seen as a woman's expression of her glory and her beauty. And her hair was only to be enjoyed by her husband. So a woman would never uncover her hair in public because that was something private for her, her husband. But in church, the women came in and they just felt like we're free in Christ and they wanted everybody to know that they were free in Christ. And so they were removing their head covering and they're cutting their hair and when people came in, they just were just distracted. I mean, they were just, they were just confused and they go, okay, what's going on here? Because culturally, they're acting in shameful ways and they're acting in ways that basically say, I want to have authority in our life. And that's the struggle that we all have. That's the struggle of the church of Corinth. And that's your and my struggle, that what we've said in our life and as we struggle is we struggle with control, and we want to have control of our lives. And so the fact that the women were praying and prophesying and teaching, that was amazing. Because for 2,000 years, no one ever did that. But the problem was how they did it. And Paul said that how points to a heart that is not sensitive to the people around you and you're using your freedoms and you're hurting people. Am I digging in a big enough hole? Does it make sense? So it's about the heart. And God's looking at our heart and Paul's looking at our heart. So what does that mean for today at Watermark? Okay, no, we're not going to hand out shawls or we're not going to hand out things like that. Um, you know, culturally, short hair is great. I mean, in our culture today, short hair is great. Um, should women wear head covers? No, because it's not a part of our culture. It doesn't attest to anything in our culture. Most people in here would have no idea what that meant and what that was about. Um, and so I've just been thinking, so what does it mean for a woman to be under the authority of her husband? What does that look like today? I don't know, it's a hard one. I mean, because so many things aren't true in every culture. I mean, some cultures wear rings and some cultures don't wear rings. Some cultures take the last name and some cultures don't take the last name. But the biggest thing I could think of was that for a woman to be under the authority of her husband meant that she, she talks well about her husband to people around her. That when she's out in public and when she's out with her friends, when she's not around her husband, that she speaks well of him. And she praises him. And she talks about how he's providing for them. So Paul, in this passage, is talking about our hearts. 
He's asking us this question, how are our hearts today? Verse 16 ends, and he basically just says to them this, hey, this is what I know from God's word. This is what all the other churches are practicing as we come together in God's word. But if you want to be contentious, and the word there in Greek is very interesting. It means if you want to strive for victory, if you always want to fight, if you always want to be right, if you always want to get your way, then he says, I don't have anything else to say because people already see your heart. Okay, so I'm going to have to be a little less distracting because I'm burning up. Uh, can I share with you my frustrations? You can't tell anybody this, right? Because uh, my wife has not heard about any of the stories last week. I'm very proud of you guys. Thank you so much. Um, but, you know, um, when I first started in ministry, I was with a couple other guys, and we were in a group, and it was going really well. I was actually, uh, I was actually the chaplain of one of the largest athletic athletic universities in America, the University of Texas. So I was a chaplain of the University of Texas in charge of the spiritual well-being of the students and the athletes and the coaches and leading studies and all that. But there got to this day when I just got so frustrated with my leadership. I got so, because they just didn't understand what we were doing and why we are doing it and how we are doing it. And, I just, and, and they are giving me this authority like, well, you can't do that because this, this, and this. And you can't do these things because this, this, and this. And I was just so angry. You know what I did? I went out and got my ear pierced. <laughs> I don't wear an earring. And they go, you got your ear pierced? Yeah. I can do whatever I want. I'm in authority. I'm in control. And I walked around for like four months with a pierced ear. Now, there's nothing wrong with a pierced ear. I mean, it, it's great. I thought it was cool, right? But the heart the heart behind why I did it. That's what was wrong. And so the parents would bring their kids, athletes, to recruit to the University of Texas. And I was sitting there as a chaplain and had my earring in. The, the students thought it was so cool. Like, wow, the chaplain has an earring. That's just the coolest thing. Because, you know, in the 70s and 80s, no one, you know, no one was doing that, right? It wasn't cool back then. I, I, was, I started the cool, okay? <laughs> No one else was doing that back then. But, but the, the parents looked at me like, well, good night. I don't know what kind of person we're going to put our kids under. This guy's walking around with an earring. And I had this one military guy, he called it an ear bob. And he goes, well, you got that ear bob on, huh? And I went, yep, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> but, you know, after like three months, I just got really frustrated. And I realized, you know, why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it because I'm angry. Why am I angry? God... Jesus, man, I'm angry at God because God put me in his place and I can't control my own destiny. And I'm going to be angry with God and I'm going to get an earring. And finally I said, that's so dumb. So I took the earring out, took a hot shower, popped that little bulb. Girls, you know what I'm talking about, right? And it just filled up the next day. It was great. Then about seven weeks later, we had this edict come down from the authority above us. And it was like the most unrealistic, unreasonable thing ever. And I was so frustrated, I went back in, took a needle, stuck my earring back in my ear. <laughs> I'm in control. I'm in charge. I can do what I want. I don't need to listen to you guys. 
And after about a day, I'm like, oh, man, that's so dumb. What am I doing? Am I really trusting the Lord? Do I really believe that he's in control of everything, even when my authority is terrible? Do I really trust that he's above that and he can take care of that? Am I really trusting? Is my heart really searching him? Do I really know that he has my best out for me? Or do I have to think I have to get my own thing done? Because if I don't get my own thing done, then it's never going to get done. Does that make sense? I've been in churches before in Hong Kong, you know, and I walked in, we're talking, and I'm about to preach, and someone comes walking in, and they have F-U-C-K across their shirt. And they walk into church, right? And I'm like, wow, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> and so I go up to them, like, hey, is this your, your first time at church? And they're like, <laughs> I don't know, you know. I learned not to ask that because usually when I ask that, people go, no, I've been coming for like two years. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but I said, you know, is this your first time at church? And they go, yeah, it's my first time, and I'm just trying to figure out what this Christianity thing is all about. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And, I, you know, I love your shirt. <laughs> but if I went up to him and said, is this your first time at church? And he goes, no, I've been here for like three years. I'm a, I'm a Bible study leader, and I'm leading a community group. <laughs> then, then we got a problem, Right? Because that's just distracting, right? Now, you can't tell anybody this because this is, this is a true story. But I'm sitting in the church, and I'm about to get up and preach. And how can I say this? One of the leaders walks up, and they're wearing biking shorts in church. So they're wearing biking shorts in church, right? So I'm sitting down in a chair, and the guy comes walking up, and he's just wearing these really tight biking shorts. And I'm just, I look up and I go, whoa, okay, that's just something you don't see every day, right? <laughs> you know, the, the guy's smuggling grapes in his shorts, right? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sitting there kind of going, and for the next couple of minutes, I'm like, okay, I got to pray, I got to pray. How am I going to get this out of my mind? I got to pray, I got to pray. Dear Jesus, please help me not think of biking shorts as I preach. Okay, amen. It's a distraction, Right? Did he know that he was distracting people? Maybe not. Probably not. Hopefully not. But just being aware of that whatever we do and how we do it, we're doing it for the Lord and we're trusting him. We're taking this freedom and we're using it for God's glory. And we're making the people in our community flourish. And we're making the people in our homes flourish because we're trusting the Lord to take care of us. And we're going to trust him to walk with us. Does that make sense? Three questions and we're done. First question is this. For all of us in here right now, singles and marrieds and people at different stages of life, how are we doing with the authority figures in our lives? God has put leaders above you. Maybe God has put a spouse above you. How are you, you doing with that authority figure? Are you rejoicing in the person that God put above you? Because you know that above that person, even if they're terrible, there's God and he's going to take care of you. Are you struggling? Are you thinking maybe if I don't get out of this, then I'm not gonna, God's not going to help me and God's not going to take care of me and I've got to do this, so I've got to get out of this thing because it's not good. How are we doing with our authority figures? 
This is huge for me, guys. You can ask my wife. Every time we go through customs, there's just something about a custom agent. And sitting there and trying to make me justify my life and ask questions, I just go crazy. And it's just not about this guy having authority over me. And after all the TSA probes coming out and 99, 8.4 cents get by without anybody else knowing about it, and he's trying to ask me to justify my life, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm going crazy. And Christina's like grabbing me. Settle down, settle down. I think a lot of us are like that in our marriages. And with our professors. And with our bosses. And in our church. So how are we doing with that authority structure? God, Jesus, you. How are you doing with that? Are we honoring the Lord with how we handle it? Number two, husbands, are you submitting to Christ? Are you fulfilling the role that God has given you of loving and cherishing the one who came to rescue you, the one who came to complete you, the one who is different in so many different ways, but God brought them into your life to enrich you, to strengthen you, and to point you to him? Are you cherishing and loving your wives? Are we putting the glory of our wives and our kids before our own glory? Or as men, are we more worried about our own glory than taking care of our family? Do you see your wife as your perfect gift? If you don't, the passage says that you have the same problem that the Corinthians have. Wives, are you submitting to your husbands? Are you supporting them? Are you speaking well of them in public in front of other people? Are you respecting them? Are you encouraging them? Are you completing them? Are you teaching them? Are you helping them? And even as you do this, do you know that even as you do this, it does not diminish one iota from who you are as a woman, your character, how God sees you. It actually makes you stronger in God's eyes. Do you realize that? It brings glory upon your head and it makes you stronger. One last thing. Most of my friends who are non-believers I talk to, most of them struggle with this passage. Most of them struggle with the heart of it. And when I talk to my friends who don't know Christ yet, and we go into dialogues and conversations for a long time, it almost always comes down to the issue, who's going to have authority in their life? Who is going to have authority in their life? Uh, often, sometimes in these conversations, I look at them and I just say, you know, ultimately what you're telling me is that you want to be God. And sometimes, if we're really honest, they kind of smile kind of coyly and say, yeah, I do. And that's the issue that they are struggling with. They don't want to be diminished. They don't want to lose control. They don't want to lose their personhood. 
They don't want to be seen as less than a person if they submit to God. And you know what? I think many of his Christians in here also struggle with that same thing. We struggle with the idea of submitting to the Lord. Because we feel like if we do, our life is going to be out of control. God's not going to take care of us. He's not really good. I can't really trust him. He doesn't really have my best in store. He's not going to do it. We struggle with this. And what I want you to know right here is that God is so good. And God gave you his word and this authority structure to put you into the system that you could flourish, that you could thrive, that you could have the best life possible if you were to trust him. Philippians 2 says that Jesus submitted to God the Father. He put his glory to God. And in doing this, he became great because he did it. We walk in his pathway. We know the reality of what it means to serve and be under authority. We know that God is good and you can trust him. My prayer is, is that we as a church would never forget who we serve. We'd never forget the gifts that God has given us. We'd never forget the families and the relationships that he's brought around us. We'd always remember that he brought them to us because he wants to bless us. He wants us to thrive. And he wants us to flourish. And I pray that as we are an example like this to the rest of the community of Hong Kong, lives have changed. Things would be different. So how are you doing with your authority? Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for your son who shows the way. He changes everything by being equal in every way, but he chooses to submit his life to die on a cross so that you and I might have new life in hope. Father, I pray for us as a church. I confess, I mean, just the stories I told today, but there are so many other stories every day. And this issue of, am I going to trust you? Am I going to allow you to be the authority in my life? Or am I going to grab onto that authority and try to live out life my own way? And if I do that, Lord, you, your word says that there's consequences to that and things become disordered and confused and it hurts the whole body of Christ. And I pray for us as we come before you that you would examine our hearts. Show us where we're not as you would have us. Help us to think about what does it mean for us to imitate Christ this week as we go on this journey as a family and as our biological families and in our workplace. Father, I pray for us as we think about serving you and walking with you that we would never do it in our own power and our own strength, but we would never do it in our own authority, but that we'd always cling to that structure that you put in place from eternity past to protect us and to guard us. Father, I pray for the marriages in here. I know that um, some are having troubles. 
We always have difficulties in our marriages. We always have rough patches. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of the men, that you would humble them, that you would help them to understand what it means for them to follow you, to submit to you, and to help his family flourish in your word and in your spirit. Lord, I pray for the women. I know that this passage has been incredibly abused and misused, and it comes across more like this is what we don't want you to do, but it has nothing to do with what we don't want you to do. It has to do with our heart behind how we do what we do. I pray for the wives in here, Lord, that you would help them to heal the hurt and the pain. I pray that they would see your son who's taken the pain and the cross and gives ultimate forgiveness. And in their faith and in their walk with you, they would continue to submit these things to you, to trust you. I pray that you would show them today what it means to talk well of their husbands in the marketplace or wherever you send them. Help them to show an air of respect, not just for outward appearances, because in their heart they deeply understand your mercy and grace towards them. Lord, I pray for our kids, especially, who are modeling and watching. They don't just watch the parents, they watch the singles, they watch the attitudes and the actions. As a church, I pray, Lord, that we would be clear and unconfusing. That when people come in here, they would realize that the focus is on Jesus and Him alone and how awesome and wonderful is His works and miracles. So, Lord, we come before you and we just, we need you. We're desperately in need of you because we are broken, sinful people who you are healing and redeeming moment by moment. May we take this word of authority, cling it to our hearts, and may it change us. We love you. We love you. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.